I'm going to ask Bob to come up here and bring his Bible. And uh, Bob, I want you just to pick somebody who you feel has the biggest pool of mercy in their heart and have them come up here too, if we could. You need a Bible too, brother. I can borrow your mind. <laughs> All right, on your way up, I want you to grab Revelation 7, 16 and 17. And Andrew, you're a good guy to come up. Bless you. Bless you. I want you to look up um, Revelations 21. Um, three and four. And I want everyone to just maybe close your eyes and listen to this, these two scriptures. Did you find that one? Because mm -hmm. there's something in both of these scriptures, and I want you just to pay attention to it. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all their sorrows, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, for the old world and all its evils are gone forever. Okay, what? Don't you guys just stay here for just a second. What did people notice between those two passages that was similar? Okay, anything more specific? That's, that's, that's right, that's the core, but, okay, rest. Okay, there was one where they used the same words, of course, it's a different version, so, but in my version, both of them said, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So, okay, I want you to get this. This is the climax of all of history as we know it. It, it says that earth and heaven fled away from the presence <laughs> of God. And it says in First Peter that the elements themselves were melting at his presence. So this is a big event, right? This is, this is when God says, okay, I'm going to fully expose my, my wholeness to everything I created. Okay, so it's a big event. And what is he trying to establish? This is what we just read. This... He will be present with them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, why is it important to God? Well, first I want to ask, what does the word every mean <laughs> to people in general? Yeah, but are some tears too small? No. No. Why would he care about every tear, no matter how small? Why? It matters to us. Okay, but why if it matters to us, does it matter to him? Okay, we're one. Yeah, in this case, 
Yeah, he he is. I'm just saying this is in his heart to wipe away every tear. It's something he's waiting for because it's, it's part of who he is. You can imagine that all of human history, every, every, God's been close to every person, has felt every sense of suffering that every living soul has ever experienced. And the culmination of history to God is wiping away every tears and being with them. That sounds good to me. <laughs> that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. I'm glad that's in God's heart. I'm glad that's what God is like. So what I want to do is just release the mercies of God in our hearts today. One of the things I do know about God is he wants us to be like him, not because it endorses him, but because it's really good. <laughs> because it's really good. He wants us to be like him because he knows it's really good. So I want to, before we start uh, into the teaching, I'd like to release the heart of mercy. I want to release mercies upon us. And I want this to be a tangible experience for everyone who can receive it tangibly. If you can't receive it tangibly, just open yourself to it and understand whatever you can understand but if you can receive it if you have the ability just ask God for it too by the way to actually receive tangibly the mercies of God on your body on your soul on your memories on every life experience that you have lived let the mercies of God just richly just drip into those places now and fill those places everyone everyone don't hide anyone just open it all to the living presence of God. And then I, I want Bob and Andrew just to begin releasing mercies over people, just releasing mercies over people. You can walk around or stand around, however you want to do it. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Um, and then, you know, one of the things, whenever, whenever I share, I have one goal, which is for God to touch people. You know, I mean, understanding things and learning things is important. But when God touches you with your, with your understanding, it changes you. And to me, that's what I, I want. That's really, you know, like Paul said, the goal of our teaching was love from a pure heart that comes by revelation, that comes by God being present with us and touching us. So, um, and the subject we're going to talk about is one of the mercies of God. You know, we're talking about the pain of people, but we're really talking about the mercies of God. Because if we were talking just about the pain of people, we'd be talking about a dead-end street. You know what I mean? Because the, the total accumulated pain of the, the life of humanity is overwhelming. And sometimes when we talk about these subjects, uh, like sexual abuse, it's overwhelming to understand what people have experienced. So we're talking about that, but we're talking about the mercies of God. Talking about all that's in his heart. Um, you know, I was asked to speak on recovery from sexual abuse, and that's a really, that's a really difficult subject to talk about because it's a subject that encompasses such deep pain for so many people. 
But um, as Paul and Bob thought about it, they wanted to kind of stretch that out a little bit. So really we're talking about ways in which we've all suffered in this area. For It's, it's a spectrum of things. So we'll, we'll talk about that because on the one hand you have people who, who suffered what we would call classic sexual abuse. And on the other hand, there's things that people just lacked that helped them love themselves in their gender. You know, and that is a form, if you look at the spectrum, a form of sexual abuse. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, but we're going to cover the spectrum today. And what matters most is that your heart is touched by mercy while we're sharing. Um, so feel free, by the way, to ignore me. If the Holy Spirit is touching you, um, go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to just uh, start by... Um, you know, sharing a little bit of my own story. And, um, you know, I lived a pretty pretty normal life as far as I, I was concerned. And um, I was a regular Baptist kid. You know, we just went to church like three times a week, and everything was pretty normal. But somewhere around the age 32, somewhere in there, I uh, looked at my wife, Audrey, and we'd been married for seven years, and I said, I really have no idea what... It is to be a man, let alone a godly man. What am I supposed to be? Because I really had no idea. All I knew was that the model that we had grown up with in, in my generation was one of, of uh, John Wayne, right? Um, but somehow I knew that that wasn't a man, you know, because I also knew that um, that version of man is also perpetrator. <laughs> you know, I do what I want for myself because I am strong or stronger than you. And I could feel in the heart of God that he didn't control anyone or use anyone. His power was not for control. His power was for service, love, and mercy. You know, Jesus could have done practically anything he wanted if he had all this enormous power, right? You know, I mean, like when the devil said to him, all these nations were given to me, they all belong to me, bow down to me, and I'll give them all to you. He didn't need the devil for that. He could have just done that. But what did he do? He went low. He, you know, when he did some huge miracle, he usually told the people, let's just keep this quiet between us. This is just for you. I did this just for you because he was humble and meek. He didn't need or want to control anyone. So somehow this whole, what is a man supposed to be, was a very painful thing for me, and I really <laughs> worked hard to understand it. It took me some years, but then I started seeing Jesus in a new light. Um, you know, like, okay, if you grow up with this deep, internal cultural context of a man being John Wayne. And then you see Jesus being soft and meek. It's kind of like, oh, I don't know if that's it either. But it turns out it is. It turns out Jesus is the, this beautiful, beautiful uh, example of masculinity. And I started to understand how he was so, so, so strong. And he used this enormous strength 
always in this controlled love. I mean, where he's controlling himself in servanthood and in love, never to control anyone else. Just to see that, I thought, wow, that, that is strength. You know, you think of, of um, you know, people who sacrifice themselves for their friends, like in war and stuff. Well, Jesus had like a long time to think about that. And he knew that the sacrifice was not going to be, you know, jumping on the grenade, you know, that's going to like take a whole second. <laughs> he knew he was going to be touched by sin, and he was going to be touched by the devil, and he was going to be uh, tortured. And he had the enormous love to do it anyway. And he knew it was coming from a long time in advance. And he, 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 even when he was at the moment of his passion, and he asked his three friends, just stay awake for me. This is just enormously hard for me. And they couldn't do it. He, he just forgave them. <laughs> you know? That was the least he could expect from those guys, right? Just stay awake, okay? You know, I'm about to go through this cosmic turmoil <laughs> for you. The absolute cosmic turmoil. I'm, gonna, I'm about to win back from the hand of the devil everything. And this is going to take everything. This is going to be so enormous. You guys, could you just stay awake for a couple hours? You know? But he just forgave them because that was what it was like, Jesus, to do. Talk about strength. Talk about strength. That man was strong. <laughs> so I started to see what a man was supposed to be. But, you know, I mean, I'd been married for seven years. I still didn't have a clue, but it started to come clear to me. So what we're talking about in this, this, this bigger picture of, 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 of sexual abuse, it, it includes this, this entire spectrum. Let, let's, let's go to the next slide here. Um, you know, we, we, we will talk about classic sexual abuse, and then we'll talk also about things like gender identity, and um, just this whole area where the Lord wants to bring restoration to us as men and women. Sexual abuse is experienced as deep shame that resides close to the point of identity, deep inside our brain. Very low inside our brain, we have some really important, important functions, right? We have the fight or flight. We have the attachment. And right close to that is, is gender identity, and, and our understanding of our, our, ourselves and sexuality. And so this is, is, and it's highly attached. Your experience with love, your experience with comfort, your experience with belonging, your experience as a man or a woman are highly attached. So these issues, when something is perpetrated upon us, don't just violate our, our sense of safety. They touch upon our person, on our person. It's very hard for people to recover because they need something that can make them so safe at such a deep place in their inner thoughts. That's what Jesus wants to do. Let's go to the next slide. We've all experienced this kind of poison from the world and from culture. I mean, does anyone disagree with that? <laughs> Most of us don't know what a, a godly man or godly woman is really supposed to be. You know, what is the expression that's life-giving? That's what we're asking. What's the expression of my gender that's life-giving? 
to the world and what God had in mind. So in that sense, I think we're all touched by this. Let's go to the next slide. The memories and the emotions that are connected with these experiences are often highly protected inside of us. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that it, it's, it's just not safe for those memories to be present with us. We're not talking just limited again to just, again, uh, uh, classic sexual abuse, but other kinds of, of things that were just wrong. And most of us experienced that on some level. You, you have to trust me on that. <laughs> you know, so those things are deep inside because they touch things that are so close to our identity and they're too painful usually to touch unless we feel a deeply safe place for those things to interact with us. Our subconscious protects those memories because our subconscious is waiting for a credible rumor of hope. Let's go to the next slide. That credible rumor of hope is that someone knows what to do or how to help us, that someone is safe and understands us, and that there's a credible path for healing. You kind of need all three. You know, before you start to feel brave inside to start working on stuff, whatever it is, you know, um, gender confusion or, or um, memories of abuse, you need to know that somebody is actually safe to help you with it. Of course, Jesus is very, 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 very safe. He said that he wouldn't extinguish a smoldering wick or crush a bruised reed. He said, come to me because I'm meek and gentle in heart. You will actually find rest inside if you come to me. So he is safe. But we usually need somebody else too. Somebody who can sit across the coffee table with us and be safe before we can start exploring these issues. And we also have to know that they're not just safe, they know what to do, right? <laughs> because sometimes exploring issues <laughs> it's a bad idea if someone doesn't know what to do, right? So your inner heart is waiting for somebody who's safe, who has a credible path for healing, someone who knows what to do. So let's, let's talk about, uh, yeah, what God intended. Okay, now just imagine this. When you were born, your parents were delighted to see you. They were thrilled to see you. When they held you and looked down at you, their eyes just filled with pride and filled with love. And when they looked at you, something inside you said, it's good that I'm here. Not everyone experienced this, by the way. Maybe only half of us. But this was God's intention. He wanted to plant a message deep inside our brain that we were safe, that we belonged, and that we were a joy to those around us. And as we started to get a little bit bigger, we had different kinds of pains and upsets and things that went through our, our lives. We felt pain and we looked 
in those eyes again. And what we were looking for was, are you with me? Are you with me? And we saw, oh, I'm so sorry, in their eyes. And then they made everything better. We found out that we can return from these experiences to joy. That joy can be our experience. That we can live in joy because we are a joy in the world. This is what God intended for our life to be. And as we grew, we experienced more and more. We went through harder things, and the emotions were big, and we were able to return to joy because there were people with us. Most trauma happens as a combination of things, not just the event, but not having someone there to process it with. If people have a safe, sweet, attached person close to them who can say, I'm with you, I understand. People can go through a lot and not be traumatized. But the problem is that most of us did not, the people who were supposed to be that person for us, they were working on their stuff. <laughs> you know, they were abused. They were left alone. They were lost. And so they didn't have the resource inside them to be genuinely with you from the heart when you went through what you went through. And of course, worse yet, some of them, whatever happened to them, gave them needs that they couldn't control and they became perpetrators. So not only was it not safe, not only did you miss this opportunity to be a joy to the world, but the world became very unsafe. I want you to remember something. It's the intention of Father to wipe away every tear from your eyes. Most of the tears are still hidden inside. I, I, I just know that from experience. <laughs> Most of the tears are still hidden inside. But he wants those. He really wants to be with you in those places of pain. Let's go to the, what does it mean to be safe? Um, I'll let you read this one. I'm just going to read it in case someone can't see it. I am safe when the smallest and weakest voices within me are able to have their voice. You know, for, for people who experience different kinds of abuse, one of the things that quite often happens inside of them is um, a fracture where part of them, this, this whole thing is so complicated. I mean, here are the people that are supposed to be loving you, nurturing you, speaking your identity, telling you that I know it's hard, I'm right with you, and helping you return to joy and developing this pattern of deepening joy and deepening identity, but then they perpetrate on you. So instead of giving you that gift of identity and joy, they give you wounds, but yet at the same time, your heart and your brain are made for attachment. You cannot live without attachment. So it's deeply confusing. Here's someone perpetrating on me who's also attaching to me. So this creates for a lot of people more pain 
than they can consciously hold. So for most people, these experiences either become just sheltered and hidden because they're too scary and they're too painful, or part of us actually fractures. And part of us actually holds those pain in a separate little piece of us. But when you're really safe is when the smallest and weakest voices inside dare to speak. Um, I had a spiritual have, a spiritual mother, and had a spiritual dad. How many remember Jack Winter? Um, uh, has anyone heard Jack Frost? Um, a couple people. He was kind of the mentor of uh, Jack Frost and James Jordans. And he lived here in town, and he was a spiritual father to me. And Diane, who started the dwelling place, uh, works uh, the women's shelter uh, thing, she's a spiritual mother to me. And um, you know what? One thing I can say is when I'm with her, the worst parts of me are safe to talk if they need to. The parts of me that are the least Christian. <laughs> I mean, I just want to give you a, a brief illustration of this. It's not related to sexual abuse, but and it, that makes it safer actually to discuss. Uh, I counseled a friend who, um, when his when he was in high school, his friend committed suicide, and deep inside he felt like it was my fault. I should have done something. Why wasn't I there? And that pain and guilt was so great that that pain and guilt was really locked away. But every time he drove anywhere near a certain part of town, something just happened. Because that pain and guilt was like knocking on the door. Hello, we need to talk about this. It's painful in here, <laughs> right? And um, when he came to prayer, he just couldn't let that part speak because it wasn't Christian enough for him. And we're meeting in a church, you know what I mean? I said, you know what, uh, friend, I'm gonna have to ask you to do something. I wanna leave your Christian self out the door. You really need to let this part of you tell the truth. And, and of course, that part had a lot, a lot of screaming. Uh, I mean, not, not, not literal screaming out loud, but like screaming kind of emotions. And, well, there's probably a little screaming out loud too, but not that much, you know? <laughs> that, was, that was okay. Because his Christian self could not transact the business. You know what I'm talking about? His, his Christian self would like present and go blah, 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 something really good that you probably learned in Sunday school. But that's not the part of him that needed to have a voice. You know what I'm talking about? We needed to talk to that part of him that was bearing this huge guilt and he that part needed to just have its say so safe is when the smallest and weakest part is able to dare to have a voice you know some of the people who uh, have experienced uh, uh, I would say in our experience you know my wife and I as we counsel with people that um, people who have suffered uh, some kind of sexual abuse, it's very common that the voices that need to speak don't have any words. 
because they're too young. Some of these wounds happen while children are toddlers. And the first experiences are often when children are pre-verbal. So these parts, if they're able to be present, if you're able to be so safe that they're willing to be present, often don't have any words. And you need to be with them just super quietly. And we'll talk about how Jesus comes into that. I mean, it's important for us to be safe, but we don't have it. <laughs> we don't have the power for healing. We, and also, we don't have infinite knowledge. You know? That's a big advantage in healing. You know? <laughs> this is one of the things why Jesus is really good at it. You know, he's got this, this heart of exploding mercy <laughs> and infinite knowledge. <laughs> That works to our favor. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's and he's gentle as a lamb. <laughs> you know, aren't we, I mean, just, just speaking as a human being here, aren't we lucky? Of course, it's not lucky. But just speaking as a human being, aren't we lucky that the one who has all power is gentle as a lamb? Wouldn't it be a terror <laughs> if he was anything different? <laughs> Do you know how Jesus sometimes just sits with you just because he wants to be with you? Do you know that's sincere? <laughs> that's sincere. He sits with you because he wants to be with you because he likes being with you. That's sincere. And at the same time, quietly in the background, he's got infinite power. <laughs> it's a pretty good deal. Hallelujah. That's what it's like to be safe. So the spectrum of Sexual abuse, we, you know, talk about this classic sexual abuse. Um, you know, let's just talk from, you know, one side to the other of the spectrum real quickly. Um, you know, for some of us, that abuse was experienced as parents uh, sharing pornography with a young person or exhibition, that exhibitionism that wasn't accidental but made to appear accidental, verbal abuse, name-calling, especially around the issue of gender, name-calling. Um, not helping with the basic work of forming a gender identity. You know, if, if, if we miss that, life is hard. Somebody needs to help you as a young person understand what it's like to be a man or a woman. You know, I've shared my experience about that. Objectifying women is a form of sexual abuse. Did you ever think about that? And our society is so full of objectifying women and men, you know. Even just lack of honor toward the other gender. Because when we don't see the other gender honored, we may not know how to give honor, the very honor that God wants us to give. So we have a deficit that, that will affect how we live and how we walk our life, right? Those are all forms of sexual abuse. Now, I don't say that to diminish if you've experienced classic sexual abuse. I don't mean to compare that to, you know, lack of honor of, of the genders. 
because you know what you experienced is is it's really serious to the Lord and I'm not saying that these are like it but what I'm saying is all of us share in part of it you know what I mean because I'm really saying if you've experienced that kind of betrayal that is a thing all to itself that is a thing that is all to itself important for us to be healed from what I'm saying though on somewhere on the spectrum all of us have been touched by this issue because what the Lord wants us to learn to do is to be a, a godly man, a godly woman, who knows how to live joyfully from the heart that Jesus gave me that includes our gender. So this, this area can touch us in so many ways, all the way through the spectrum. And for most of us, I think we have to say we were touched. Let's go to the next slide. There's, you know, trauma can be classified in two basic types, type A trauma and B. B, it's easy to remember because it's bad, the bad things that ha happened to you, where there was a specific perpetrator at a specific time. A trauma is the absence of good things. And long term, A trauma is as severe. It affects you as much as B trauma. Now, in certain ways, this B trauma is easier to heal from because I can have a specific memory of an event or a series of events and process through the pain, process through release and forgiveness, process through understanding the truth from the heart of God. A trauma sometimes is hard to heal from because you can't pin it down. You know, I mean, for instance, this is, this is the truth, and I'm honoring my father and mother in saying this, but I never heard once, not one time growing up, I love you, I'm proud of you. That's normal, actually, in the human condition. Do you know that? You should hear, I love you, I'm proud of you. Never happened in my home. That was a Swedish home, and for some reason it was like, we're not talking about that. You know, but you know, I know now that the devil actually talked the whole generation into this stupid idea. You know, it was demonic to destroy a whole generation. And, and, and it kind of worked, you know? <laughs> Except for the grace of God. I remember one time I was, I was driving or riding in a train home. Um, I was in Berlin, actually, um, on my way home. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me and said, can I talk with you? And I said, yes. And I was very excited. And he said, I am so proud of you. And when he said those words, I thought I was going to die. My heart hurt so bad. I really caught my breath in a gasp, like... <gasps> It's like I felt like a knife. I literally felt like a knife had been shoved into my sternum. It hurt so bad. <laughs> but actually, it was a very good thing for him to say, wasn't it? It was the first time I ever heard those words. And when I heard it, it cut. Because down inside, I knew I should have heard those words a lot. <laughs> right? Right. So this A trauma sometimes is hard to pin down. What's missing? Because usually you don't notice what's missing. It's like the negative shape around a sculpture. You know what I mean? People all just see the sculpture. They don't see the negative shape. So that's what we're talking about. But it's, it's as it's, you need it. If you don't get the things you need, you need it. 
You need it. I'm telling you that those tears inside will not go away until Father meets those needs. That's a fact. And it may be at the end of time. And that's okay. There's going to be a lot of stuff that gets sorted out at the end of, of history. And that's okay. But if we can learn to receive that breath of God, the truth now, we get to give life to the people around us because we get to be full of life. And it feels better, you know? It feels better to live that way. But it's also good if you get full of life. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so. Hmm. When I'm talking, I want the mercies of God to be blowing like a wind inside your hearts. I want you to feel the mercies of God going around your heart. Like when, like when the wind picks up a campfire and it swirls. I want the mercies of God to be swirling around inside of you while we're talking about this. Because we're, we are talking about the pain of mankind, but we're talking about the mercies in the heart of Father. So I want to talk about love bonds and fear bonds. And I don't want to talk much about it because, you know, I, I, I want to be respectful of how much time we have. But I just want to say that um, there's two kinds of things that just generally control us. What God intended, what God intended for us is love bonds would control us. But for many of us, fear bonds control us. And it's because we lived in a setting where there was a lot of fear surrounding us. And um, that's part of the reason it's hard for us to tell the truth because we don't know what life would be like for us outside of the box that we're living in. Because the fear bonds are the, what we know. The Lord wants us to be free from that and learn what it's like to live in relation to Father who loves us. Actually, I have a, a lot of things I, I, I wanted to share, so I might go just, just a couple minutes over. It, I, I, I want to talk about the, the process of, of healing, let's just, I, let's go not to the next slide, but one more, uh, the path of healing. Um, you know, what? I, uh, one of the reasons we can't heal is we don't know the hurt. And there's a lot of reasons that we don't want to know the hurt, right? If, if you're kind of like hobbing along okay, on your crutches, and you're getting to work, and you're getting to the places you need to go, sometimes your crutches are better than the surgery. <laughs> or so you think. <laughs> or so you think. And if you don't know a good surgeon, you might want to stay on those crutches a long time, right? Because you just don't want to go there. But if you want to receive healing, you're going to have to experience and remember the pain and bring it to the Lord. Um, I, I want to say something really quick about forgiveness and why it's hard to forgive, um, because I think this is really important. Um, just I have like three important things to say, so just hang in there with me. Um, if the, even though we can be a victim, we're still a child usually in these things we're talking about, and it's very confusing, and waves 
of shame and humiliation are are part of it because a child can't differentiate between their their actions and everything that happens to them you know so many children down deep inside feel somehow that they caused their parents divorce or other things that happened in the family because they can't differentiate they can record what happened but they can't differentiate that from that was their choice so one of the reasons it's just hard to work on this stuff is down inside in that child's brain there's still the fear and confusion about what happened and my part in it well, that needs to be broken off that needs to be broken off your parents made those choices the perpetrators made those choices and another thing is sometimes there's unclear boundaries like my father is kind he's good he feeds me and he perpetrates on me you know where does all that get sorted out it's just too hard so it's hard for people to go to these places and 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 work on it and and the fear bonds we have with perpetrators it's just a lot of confusion inside for that that part of us that's holding those memories and that pain let me just read um, uh, just a, a paragraph from our, my spiritual mother, Diane. Um, this is what she said. He used Isaiah 61, 1, powerfully in my life. In that verse, it says, Jesus' mission on earth was to bind up the brokenhearted, to give freedom to the captives, release the prisoners. In this verse, the Hebrew word for brokenhearted is shabar, that literally means crushed, torn, broken into pieces. That was the condition of my soul. The trauma that I had endured, this type B trauma, caused fragmentation in my soul and in my brain. I now know that the ability to fragment like that is really a gift from God because you can't manage the pain otherwise. A small child that lives through terror cannot, and abuse cannot walk around carrying that kind of understanding every day. As an example of this, a little girl being sexually abused by her father cannot live each day with the truth on the surface, so she buries it, so she can endure day to day life with her father, who is supposed to be caring for her and loving for her. So God created a shutoff valve in our brains, so these parts could be tucked away and kept safe until a time when that person feels safe and secure and supported with people who know how to help. Forgiveness is hard, and it's really confusing. Because first you have to recognize that, that these people did actually do something to me that wasn't right. Then you need to understand that you're not betraying yourself. You're not betraying parts of yourself by forgiving. But those parts need to be part of it. Those parts have to have a voice. Those inner persons have to be able to say what happened and be recognized and be loved before they can dare release forgiveness. A lot, of, a lot of Christian teaching is on you make forgiveness by an act of your will, and if you can do it, awesome. <laughs> I know a couple of people who had that kind of will. But for most of us, the pain has to be present at the table when that forgiveness is released. And sometimes that pain has to say quite a bit before it's ready to say, I'm ready to forgive. Forgiveness sometimes feels like I'm letting somebody off, and that's not true. God is going to wipe away every tear, but 
he's going to hold everybody to account. So sometimes forgiveness feels like I'm going to make myself vulnerable again to a perpetrator. But you can forgive somebody and cut them off <laughs> if that's what you need to do. You can forgive them and, and set up boundaries. So I'm going to just take just the last minute and talk about the healing process that we use. It's called the Emmanuel process. One of the things we found is, is if you take people to a place of painful memories, sometimes it re-traumatizes them because it's overwhelming. So we don't do that anymore. What we're doing is this Emmanuel process, which is we figure Jesus knows best, so we don't need to do anything except just kind of be there, present, when people are processing this stuff. So we start, well, here's, the, here's the steps we follow. We start by asking the person to remember a time when Jesus was super, super close to them. And then we ask the Lord to just kind of like reestablish that same type of connection. Sometimes we ask people, is Jesus here with us? And normally people say, yeah, he's right here. We want to start with that because if Jesus takes him into a memory that's really difficult, we can go back to that. And Jesus can hold them in the present and nurture them so that they're not overwhelmed by the memories. Um, and then we let Jesus decide if he wants to take them to a memory because it's his business. Because we found that people have to have a base of joy before they can go and touch really bad things. Some people who do the Emmanuel process meet together with somebody for a year before they start anything. And the reason they, they do that is they want the people to really, really, really know you are a joy to be with. I love you. You're awesome. And then build that base of joy. And then let's go somewhere with Jesus. Now you have a little bit of a pool of capacity to deal with it. But we, the main point is to let Jesus be in charge because he knows. Um, and I'll just share one personal experience and then, and then I'm just going to pray. Um, you know, just how this process works. So um, I was praying with uh, a prayer partner and, and my spiritual mother, Diane, and, um, you know, the Lord reminded me of a time when he was really close and we were just really feeling close to Jesus. And then Jesus said, you know, what does is, what is he want me to know? He wants me to go to the passion and see the passion. And I told Jesus I didn't want to do that. I w he said, why? I said, because I'll be overwhelmed. And he said, okay, I'll keep you from being overwhelmed. So I went in, I let the Lord take me in a vision to his passion. I saw them beating him and stuff. And I became immediately overwhelmed. And I told Diane, I can't do this because I'm overwhelmed. Well, Jesus told you he, you wouldn't be overwhelmed. You should go back. I went, okay. And um, then I saw them beating Jesus again. And Jesus let me look into his mind. And I could see <laughs> what was going through his mind while they were beating him. And he was really full of joy thinking about you and I. His mind was concentrating on that so hard so that he could endure the pain. And then suddenly, Jesus, I still could see his face, but all the people around him disappeared. 
And he looked me in the eye and said, I'm okay. And I realized he went through that and he's okay. And then he showed me that I was still trying to be the kind of Christian that didn't need a savior. <laughs> it was hidden in my heart. Jesus, I'm going to be good enough so that you don't have to do that for me because I, I feel too responsible for that. So actually, that was like a stupid lie, but it was stuck in my brain, and I didn't know that. And when Jesus showed me that he could do that for me because he was strong enough and he could keep himself in joy in the middle of all this horrible torture, it set me free. So there's an example of this is Emmanuel process and uh, why that, that really changed me. So let's just let's pray together. And then, um, you know, I don't know how you want to do the ministry time or whatever, but uh, I'm just going to start a prayer and then you guys come up and launch that. Thank you, Lord, for everything we talked about. And some of it is so deep in terms of our human experience. And um, you are so real. You knew everything when it happened to us. You were right there. Mostly we couldn't see you, but you were right there. Your thoughts towards us, your heart towards us was real, and it was right there in the middle of our experience. But we didn't know it. So Lord, we ask through this process you would reveal to us that you were present with us in those moments and speak the truth to us. Pray for your mercies to fill us, not just for our own healing, but for those that you will put in our path. And thank you that you will put these people in our path as you choose so that we can be a fountain of life in the world. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>